Cemeteries drowned in morning dew. Uh, hi, welcome to Film Femmes. Podcasts where two trans women talk about interesting movies. Their relevance to queerness. And their relevance in general. I'm your co-host, Meredith. I'm your other co-host, Alita. And what are we talking about today, Alita? We're talking about The Handmaiden. Uh, Park Chan-wook's brilliant, amazing, beautiful lesbian film. And I'm so excited. It's going to yeah. be a good one. This is one of those movies that we were like prepping to talk about since we first started this thing. Yes. And uh, we're literally, fi- finally getting around to it. The first conversation we had about this podcast, I was like, yeah, can we talk about The Handmaiden? Because I'm dying to talk about it with anybody. It's a really good movie. I'll hand it to you. It's it's a fantastic movie, especially like watching it the second time. Like it is wonderful because, well, there's a lot going on in this movie, like both in the story and in the dialogue and in the shot composition and yeah. in the cinematography and in the color co- the color grading. It's it's just like so overwhelmingly beautiful from like. Mm-hmm multiple facets it's just a a fantastic movie that's just so well crafted yeah it's crazy like pacing is incredible everything about this movie top to bottom is like the most well-made it could possibly be i think yeah uh this is one of those movies that i don't I, i feel like we can't talk about without like just describing the whole fucking plot yeah, kinda. Uh, because this is this is a movie that just like it's split up into three. Like, uh, the way it's like act structure is split up is like very uh, concrete. Like mm-hmm. it, it literally says like part th- part one, part two, part three. Yeah. And with each act, like there is a huge like there's something that happens that like drastically changes your perception of the events that are happening the way those are laid out too and like the way it unfolds on top of each other is like so masterfully done i can't get over it yeah like yeah i guess we should talk about the plot of the movie but first i'll say you should go watch it yes please go watch it it's It's on on amazon Amazon Prime. prime yeah it's on uh, Amazon Prime. It's very good. Yes. It's probably my favorite movie ever made. Top five. It, it's, sure. it's definitely up there for me. It's definitely up there for me. Uh, so to like start us off um, with our first act, we're, interest, uh, we're introduced to like the first main character, uh, which is this girl, Suki. And uh, Suki is a really interesting character. She is... Uh, well, first of all, um, what time period is this based? Like, that's something that's really important should, before we I talk about characters. I'm, I want to say it's World War II. All right, so it's like 1930s era. Yeah, so World War II. Yeah, around then. So uh, here, do you want to do you do you want to pick up the sort of like character description yeah, for Suki? Because sure. a lot is introduced about her in the first few minutes that it, I I kind mm-hmm. of like just picked up certain things and not everything about it. She lives in like a house full of thieves, basically. Or she, her mother was a thief, and then her mother got executed for stealing things. Then she's growing up in this like 
what's kind of like an orphanage a little bit it looks like they have a yeah, lot yeah of they're babies. raising they're raising infants that were abandoned uh, and she's talking about how she knows how to spot counterfeit things and like knows how to steal shit. And then basically, the, this character they call the Count comes in and says that he's got a plan to make lots of money. Mm-hmm. That plan is to marry this dude's daughter, or this dude's like this niece, niece slash and, almost wife. Yeah, it's, and, and then yeah. run away with her. But what he needs is somebody to pretend to be her handmaiden and mm-hmm. convince her to fall in love with him. Yeah, and like uh, he discloses, the count discloses to Suki that uh, not only does he plan to marry her, but he plans to inherit her wealth and then throw her into a mental asylum. Yeah, this woman that he's talking about, this this lady that is described very quickly in the opening chapter, like the opening sort of prologue before she's even introduced as a character. So this old Korean man, Uncle Kazuki. Oh, well, Kazuki and in, in the cast is Uncle Kazuki because he's uh, Lady Hideko's uncle. Uh, he is just described in the opener as like a collector and avid fan of Japanese literature. And so he's like outfitted his home's architecture and outfitted his uh, book collection, devoting it all to Japanese literature and art. Uh, the Count is also a very skilled counterfeiter that has been hired by the uncle to replicate uh, certain art pieces. And that's where uh, the Count sort of presumes uh, his connection with Lady Hideko and is hoping to court her. And if he is not able to, uh, Lady Hideko's uncle plans to marry her just so he can inherit her fortune. So he, it's so like he oh. can get the money and then continue to buy more books because, I don't know, he's a coal miner, but he doesn't have enough money to buy the books he wants. Yeah, it, there's a lot of, like, really... Th- there's just a lot going on. Uh, like, uh, with that first part, I, I had to just rewind it a lot of times just so i could like take in because like there's a lot going on visually but everything Mm. like literally every sentence of what they're saying is like really integral to the plot yes and you're going to be completely lost if the the movie like moves on to the next scene without you paying close attention to the previous scene and that's Mm -hmm. like the only scene that this does this in it it's like a really hard opener and i was like really worried that the whole movie was going to be like this but no that's just for that first part it's it's kind of an info dump in a lot of parts it is an info dump uh so the next bits we see uh suki working as lady hideko's handmaiden and uh basically sleeping in a room that's a, a little cupboard that's like right across from Lady Hideko's room and uh acting as her handmaiden and once the count arrives sort of complimenting the count on behalf of like Lady Hideko or or 
giving compliments to Lady Hideko on behalf of the Count, and basically trying to woo her, in a sense. Hmm. Uh, but, of course, since this is a gay movie, guess who Guess who ends up falling in love with Lady Hideko? Who could guess? It's Suki. That the before we get into like where, because the second act kicks in uh, after something happens, and the movie takes like a really hard left turn. Um, do you want to go into some uh, elements of that first act before we dive into where the story goes? Sure. Elements of the first act. Yeah. The, there's a big spooky house. It's There's a beautiful a house. house. It's a beautiful house. It's like a mixed Korean and Japanese style house is what I think the lady at the beginning says. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, only one house in the world like this or whatever. And, yeah, and it's to like represent his love and adoration for Japan, but also staying grounded in the uncle's like Korean heritage or something yeah. like that. I think it's even said said that uh, the uncle wishes he was Japanese or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That that's but, mentioned multiple th- times, I think, and that's kind of just like his a, a big portion of his character of like how much of a fanatic he is for Japanese culture and just like, I like uh, near the end of the movie he says that like he admires it so much because he sees Korea as dirty. Yeah. And that J- Japan is just sort of this pristine cleanliness that. Uh, he could never acquire unless he like shaped his entire identity around it. Mm. And this movie does something really interesting with his subtitles too. Uh, Alita, did you watch this movie with? How yeah, did... it has with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has anything that's in Korean is one color, anything that's in Japanese mm-hmm. is uh, is another color. Yeah, and and there's like a lot of interesting language dynamics of when characters choose to switch from Korean to Japanese or Japanese Mm -hmm. to Korean to emphasize some parts and like the the color of the subtitles reflect that and it's like a really interesting thing in a movie like a a way to represent that in the movie that I haven't really seen Mm. before also in this movie in particular it's really helpful yeah it is because Tsuki is supposed to like talk speak japanese but she doesn't know any fucking japanese yeah there'll be times when characters are talking near her and knowing that they're speaking japanese and she can't understand that is a major part of the scene yeah Mm -hmm. i think especially the first act goes to great lengths to set up the mystery and like how bizarre and like everything is not just the mystery uh but just like the the character like the way characters act is like in a mystery in itself too, mm-hmm. and the scenes like especially near the end of that act the scenes go on like the scenes for really important moments go on for like really short, mm-hmm. and so you sort of get an impression that something else is going on that you're just not seeing the extent of, mm-hmm. and that plays like a a really interesting part later on. Uh, when you see that, yeah, there is actually other stuff going on, like um, extend these these moments, but we're only seeing one half of the story. Just as far as like the way everything is edited and put together, it does such a good job of indicating that, yeah, there is more to the story. Mm-hmm. Like with just the way scene, like you said, scenes are cut shorter than you feel like they should be. Just so in the second act, they can dump all that stuff on you. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, and it's oh and it, god, 
This is a and mess, it's really, it? Yeah, it's really satisfying to connect those dots, too, in this movie, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, like, I love um, how, like, there's two characters in particular in the first act that act, uh, that act in a way that is, like, very counter to who they really are revealed later on. Like, um, it, Lady Hideko is kind of led on to be uh, someone that is very timid. Mm-hmm. And childish, too. And childish. Yeah. Uh, like when she's introduced, uh, she's crying because of a nightmare, uh, and Suki tries to like soothe her the best way that she can. And Lady Dedeco is like holding a doll and, uh, talks a lot about her aunt, which we find out later on. But, um, the count also like the count, especially the count in the first act is, a the, is a huge fucking pervert. And it's very clear, like. The, the dynamics are switched very gratefully uh, when, like, in the beginning, it's sort of established that, like, okay, uh, you and me, like, Tasuki is like, okay, me and you are partners in this and that we're going to, like, split the share uh, that we get from uh, after we inherit Lady Hideko's money. And in this, we, like, get the impression that he's exploiting Suki, too. He's... The mm-hmm. huge pervert. He's uh, like the worst man. Suki gets like frustrated with the count, and she like interrupts an outing uh, of him and Lady Hideko, so her and Suki can sort of like go do their own thing. And the count like pulls Suki aside and like rubs her hand on his crotch, and and says something like. I said she like, was like, fully ripe. Yeah, yeah. He, like, constantly compares Lady Hideko to, like, a peach. To, like, a really ripe peach. And peach. I could eat a peach for like, hours. <laughs> and just, like, in a really, like, over-the-top perverted way. And, yeah, takes Suki's hand and, like, rubs it on his crotch and says, like, can you feel, like, like, can you feel how long I, uh, how long I've waited for this? Mm-hmm. And like, don't fuck this up. And it's just like, you just like hurt for the situation that Suki is in, like being yeah. dragged into this and it and then, being too late for her to back out at all. And then she says, uh, don't ever put my hand on your tiny joke of a cock ever again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And and we see like how the count is like exploiting Suki too, of just like sending her on uh, meaningless errands just to like, buy some time while Suki has to like carry shit out in the rain and shit like that and it's like it's implied that she's also like uh, bullied by the other sort of mansion staff or like picked on at least like on one of her first days uh, she like steps outside to find find that one of her shoes are missing and the other girls are laughing and she like there's like a monologue bit about like how much longer will she have to endure putting up with these people? Uh, like that That's something, that, that's a detail that's like very minuscule, but it like comes up later. So as the story progresses in the first act, Suki sort of uh, stumbles across, uh, st- accidentally sort of like stumbles inside the, the uncle's library. And there's this uh, like scene where the camera just like, moves in such a cool way where it just like pans really like quickly across this library yeah it's the best yeah you just wonder like what are 
what are Hideko and the uncle doing exactly? And the uncle like screams at her and Suki like screams and steps back and she doesn't know what exactly she saw. But um And his tongue is all black because he is licking a pen. Yeah. But in the moment it just feels like, oh, I anything could fucking happen in this movie. I don't yeah. know what's going on. Like this is all fucked. Yeah. Yeah, it like the its pacing establishes a mystery really well. Uh but soon after that, uh the uncle leaves on a holiday and in that time the count and uh Lady Hideko decide to elope. And there's this scene uh where uh Suki is taking Lady Hideko to like meet with the count and they pass by a tree that has a noose hanging on it. And they don't acknowledge it. Yeah. And yeah, they they don't they don't acknowledge it and they, they keep going and the whole like the, the rest of the time I'm just wondering like what the fuck was that about? Uh and so they meet with the count, they ride away on a boat, the count and Lady Hideko get married, and they're staying at this rural Japanese cottage. At this point, uh, there have been Lady Hideko and Suki like have had this like sexual encounter and Suki is sort of like confined to her own room in this like Japanese house where she's like uh like forced to like hear how their honeymoon is going uh-huh. and like subjected to this really uncomfortable situation and then once they're taken to uh the the mental asylum Suki just like wants all this to be over uh, but then it's revealed that Suki is actually being thrown in instead and mm-hmm. being tricked that she, like, being told by the staff that uh, she is delusional and that um, she is actually Lady Hideko, but she is delusional and has convinced herself that she's just a lowly handmaiden. And she gets thrown in the uh, asylum instead. And that's how act one ends. Yes. Like all that happens in the first act. It's like it feels I, I think it does really well with its time because it like moves super quick. Yeah. And you just have to like sort of keep, learn to keep up with it. Yeah. And like uh, the thing I appreciate so much about the first act is it is a lot of information, but it, yeah, like it uses its time so well to set up the things that is then going to expound on in the second act and be like, mm-hmm. and show the deceptions upon deceptions that this movie does in a yeah. masterful and, way. Like, yeah, yeah. It hints at stuff. It, it does a really good job at hinting at, at stuff. Like the, the noose and the tree is like the cherry on top. Yeah. Uh, it's just so good. Because, like, basically, the f- whole first act is basically Suki's half of the story, like, the little bit. And then yeah. the second act is basically going into Hideko's, like, life and, like, what actually happened with her. And that, oh, she's not as innocent as she was. Or you mm-hmm. thought she was and all this stuff. But I think especially, one of the things I love about the first act of this movie is how heartbreaking that in thing seems oh yeah i'm like i was like on the edge of my fucking seat for the whole Mm -hmm. entire way through the second act because i'm like if you fucking do this to me you're gonna set up all this good gay shit and then you're gonna fucking tear my heart out like this don't do me like this yeah yeah it's like a really sharp turn that you really aren't expecting 
Uh, especially like with how much you feel for Suki and like falling in love with someone that she's already agreed to con. Yeah. And then like finding out that all of that sort of like secret affair was for nothing because she was the one being conned after all. Yeah. Uh, or, or so we think, but, um, yeah, there's like a, to briefly get in like how, um, mesmerizing rewatching this is. Um, like there's a lot going on. The camera movements in this movie are fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Like the cinematography and framing itself, oh, but the camera fact. moves a lot. Fun fact. Yeah. The director of photography on this movie is also the director of photography on the new it. And also, and, and Park Chan Wook's longtime like director of photography. He worked on old boy and thirst and all like. Basically all of Park oh, Chan Wook's movies. Yeah, he did the cinematography for uh, the new It, which is excellent. I I, I still need to see the new It. I, yeah. I've been that's like a movie I've been procrastinating. Which, to uh, see. I just learned that the other day. I was like, holy shit, that makes a lot of sense. That movie has some really amazing shots in it. Ooh, I can't wait to see it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the the camera like moves in such remarkable ways. Like a good place to see this if you want to see like a brief showcase of it is the trailer for this movie there's a trailer for this movie out there that's like a really good trailer because it's really fucking vague yeah and it just shows like imagery with like a really cool song playing over it Mm -hmm. and we and you see like brief glimpses of like how amazing the camera movement in this movie is uh like on one of the shots where suki is like looking out of the mansion window at this tree and the camera is like held on the window from outside and then like moves back in such a cool way and and is just like constantly level with that window it's just like such a satisfying pan uh that like re-watching this like the first time i'm watching this i am like hard focused on like i've been trained to hard focus on those subtitles from like the first few minutes of this movie how you have to be like so attentive to what the characters are saying that like my eyes are like glued to the bottom of the screen practically. And everything that's going on in the movie is more in peripheral vision if characters are saying something. Yeah. Uh, which kind of sucks. Like I, I wish I could understand the language that's being spoken so yeah. I could like watch this movie and it, it, and admire it in its full facet. But still, looking back at it the second time is such a like it's such a rewatchable movie because like I am mm. just I know what's happening and I can just take in like all these beautiful camera sweeps and pannings across location and how nice the colors look. Yeah. There's a lot of blue tinge in this movie. Mm. Uh like a, a nice like teal tinge to everything. Like the set design, the way that it's color graded in the first place. And it just looks so pretty and satisfying. Everything about this movie is gorgeous. The set design yeah. is incredible mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. around. It's like some of the best set design I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. And I love how the like camera movements complement that too. Yeah, like absolutely. the camera moves in a way to where like, yeah, you can take, uh, you, you can take in the full volume of this room. Like it's really fucking remarkable. Yeah. Okay. So, there is a pretty big thing about this movie that I feel really conflicted about. And that's like how these lesbian sex scenes are represented mm. because I feel like they're just 
it's it's this really pure relationship between these two women but it's represented in like such a gratuitous way that i do not feel that way at all one bit i i i know that this movie is like that that you feel really strongly about this movie i like strongly positive about this movie and i do too it's just like the fact that this is written and directed by a man mm-hmm. uh and how like these sex scenes can move from stuff that just feel fetishizing like women on women romance i i do not agree like there's a scissoring scene there is sure but also spoilers for the parts of the movie we haven't talked about all they know about lesbian sex is stuff they've known from erotica and shit yeah okay yeah i i get that too but and and i get what the movie is going for by like how it's representing this but it i don't know like i can understand like well we'll get into that in in a bit i i guess we'll put a pin in that conversation yes because for now i'll go off i mean it's gonna happen but not in a bad way just in a how what this movie we disagree way yes Mm -hmm. just in a we disagree way and before we move on from the first act i just want to say how much how good the gay is how yeah, watching yeah. it a second time, the subtle little things such as like the moment that uh, Suki smells Hideko's hair and is like, like just like the little things of like the little shots of them like touching for like a second. Um, the whole scene where Suki is mm-hmm. giving her uh, Hideko a bath and pouring the special soaps in for her. I was about to bring that scene up. <laughs> it's like funny, but also like it's just, it's just all... incredibly intimate. Yeah, I was like that. Uh, I was like, there's, <laughs> I re- have written in my notes, nothing straighter than one girl bathing another and pouring special soaps in the water just for you. <laughs> yeah, it's it like I love the I I love the the bath scene in particular so much because, like it's it's taken this sort of uh like Suki is forced to be in this like really sort of subservient role in this and. Then in this moment, they're able to just, like, experience this, like, really quiet tranquility. And the, mm-hmm. like, shock composition is done in, in a way that is just, like, really beautiful. Uh, this movie has a lot of this thing that I learned about recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm taking... So a bit a, a bit side note about me. Uh, I'm taking a class right now uh, where we're basically making short videos uh and like learning certain film techniques uh Mm -hmm. just in case i'm a graphic design major and and just but i'm also like more enthusiastic about film than anything uh and and so it's more of just like in in case a graphic design career pivots towards pivots to video Uh we learned about this little thing uh that we had to do a project on called subjective point of view and being attentive to it, I realized that this movie has a lot of it, uh, where the camera shifts to seeing what a character is seeing. And mm-hmm. it's like obvious that we're seeing it towards their point of view. And the scene where um, uh, Lady Hideko is like having a, a toothache and there's this tooth that's pointy in, in her mouth that like uh, Suki like decides to help her out by like grinding it down, like putting a... Uh, what, what's it called that thing that you a thimble a thimble on yeah. your thumb and using it to like grind down the tooth and there's like this really prolonged scene it's the where... most intimate thing i've ever yeah. seen in a movie 
yeah it's it's a great way to sort of like like i didn't know for sure if this movie was going to be gay uh-huh it wasn't until after i saw it and you were and you were like oh my god it's great right and i was like yeah uh and and this this movie like gave me that great first impression of just like how queer this movie was going to be mm-hmm. there is just like a prolonged shot of suki like with her thumb in her mouth and just like gently prodding at this tooth and then like using the subjective point of view uh like the it the gaze sort of like shifts up and they like have this prolonged eye contact with each other yeah and, and there's like it's it's like the side shot of her like with like her thumb in her mouth like filing the tooth and then like back to like eye contact and stuff like that. yeah it's incredible it's so good it's so yeah, good yeah I, I would it, it and it's like definitely quiet too yes. uh, it's like i was just like holding my breath through the whole thing when i watched it the first time uh that that scene is remarkable yes like i said I, i'm not joking i think it's one of the most into like really intimate things i've ever watched like yeah uh so with that do you want to move on to what happens in the next act sure Oh, I also wanted to say that uh, every outfit that Lady Hideko wears is incredible, and I'm jealous yeah. of all of them. They're all really good. Yeah, and also that yeah, scene... she's got some looks throughout this movie. It's and f- also it's uh, that scene where um she dresses up uh, Suki is like really sweet and good too. Mm-hmm. D- do you want to pick up and uh, describe what happens in the second act? Sure. Okay, so second act, it, we go back in time to Lady Hideko as a child. Mm-hmm. A child it's like a hard with, um, cut. Yeah, hard cut to her being raised by her uncle in that horrible house. And basically what you quickly learn is that when Lady Hideko is down there with the uncle, that the uncle is training her to read proper Japanese so that she can read Japanese erotica. Mm-hmm. Uh, being trained so that she can read Japanese erotica to a room full of gross men, basically. Yeah, her, like, the grandpa's literary fascination turns out to just be all pornography. Yeah. And just, like, really exploitative yes. pornography, too. And so there's a really good scene early on where it's Hideko and her aunt, and her aunt's teaching her Japanese and how to say different things. And they're flipping through a book of, like, parts of the body. And there's, like, drawings of, like, a dick and a vagina and they're like laughing at it mm-hmm. and the uncle decides to like fucking yell at them and then beat Lady Hideko's like hands with the metal balls and stuff and it's really fucked yeah. up and it goes to demonstrate what I think is the whole point of this entire goddamn movie is that the male gaze is gross and yeah. fucking uh, men's sexuality has a lot of really gross stuff a lot of times yeah, which leads us on to uh, what I want to get at later, but my yeah. favorite scene in the whole goddamn movie. So, yeah, we see, like, we we quickly get the impression that what the uncle is doing is, like, the, the sort of quote-unquote present day. Like, that life that Lady Hideko is, like, living is the life that her aunt also lived. Mm-hmm. And her uncle is basically, like, entrapping them both like a reader for this uh, pornography for old men that are going to bid on it. Mm -hmm. And 
basically like her reading it as as a way of these uh, men at the auction to project themselves having sex with her. Yeah. Or doing the stuff to her that is like red. And uh, we see we see Lady Hideko uh, very young, and so like we just immediately get the impression that like he's entrapping the ant and coddling Lady Hideko to yeah. fulfill this fucked up erotica selling business that the uncle is propagating. Uh, yeah. Not just selling, but also like replicating and producing this like old Japanese erotica. Yeah, and it's very clear, I think, in those scenes that he's trying to bring Hideko up because he knows that once he has her trained up that he can basically get rid of the ant who is too rebellious or yeah. whatever. And like, and turns out the ant kills herself. Spoilers, that happens in the middle of there, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens when Lady Hideko is still really young. Yeah. So um, what I think is so good why i like want to keep talking about that one scene in particular is just like the demonization of them finding anything funny or like when when they're have any when they have any agency of over anything such as laughing about private parts and stuff like that yeah it's suddenly gross and and inappropriate but not with there to be like reading the story word for word, like like demonstrates the control that he wants to have over their lives and like men's control over women in general. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fucked up, especially when he like walks over and takes his hand on like both of their faces and just like fucking shakes both of their heads back yeah. and forth, and it's just like so uncomfortable to watch. Uh, just like this weird form of discipline that's. So then it moves on to Lei Hideko is more grown up and she's sitting in a thing and she's reading the stories and it goes into one of the most beautiful and fucked up scenes I've ever seen where she's reading the story and you get like the glimpses of um, the Count is there. Yeah, that this is how she meets the Count. And the Count is um, what? watching as she reads the story about like a bdsm story of her uh hitting somebody and you see the counts visualizing of it Mm -hmm. and all these weird old men are groaning and it's uncomfortable and then he's like uh he's like all right so we're gonna start the bidding but it's missing the front page of a uh which was an illustration he's like so i'll have her demonstrate it for you and he pulls out this weird wooden puppet doll and they float in the air in one of the most beautiful and like gross, like haunting, like yeah, weird scenes. Like yeah, he th- suspends them both up on ropes. Yeah, and it's and just like holds them there so the bidders can like visualize this as as sort of a way to seal the deal. And yeah. it's like, like a, a, just a viewpoint of like how fucked up this business really is. Everything about the way that scene is like shot and like the doll and like the set and everything about it is like gorgeous and immaculate and also like the worst. Mm-hmm. But like and like the music that plays under it and like I can't get over it. It's a good scene. It's a good bad scene. Yeah. After uh after that the uh the count and Lady Hideko start talking. And the Count sort of, like, offers a deal to Lady Hideko to, like, 
take her away from all this uh, as long as she does something for him uh, which is like give him most of her inheritance after they get married and run away and, and they figure that the only way that they can probably do that is that they rope in another girl that they are able to disguise as like quote unquote disguise as Lady Hideko and then throw her into uh, a mental asylum so they can get away and that's how Suki gets roped in. Mm-hmm. So what you have here is a deception on top of the deception they already set up. Yeah. Suki thinks she's in on it but really she wasn't ever in on it and they were actually planning to screw her the whole entire time. Mm-hmm. And it's all set up so well. And and here's where we see like the sort of like more drawn out versions of scenes that we've already seen and we just sort of see like how involved Lady Hideko is behind the scenes and how like knowledgeable she is. Uh like there's a a scene early in the movie where it's Suki's first night and she's sort of like cracks the door and peers into Lady Hideko's room and then she hears like a knock on the other side of the door uh, of the door and she quickly like jumps up and like runs to pretend to be asleep and then we see like the other side of the scene where Lady Hideko is just waiting on the other side of the door just like watching Suki and just to, like freak her the fuck out yeah yeah and and just like feels the door open and she just like does that to freak her out and like Already from that, we get an impression of just like the the kind of person that Lady Hideko really is, and it's not this just this like timid, innocent uh, child, childish, spoiled um, lady of high wealth, but it's someone who's like trapped in this manipulative and exploitative business that her uncle propagates. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that, we sort of like see Suki and Lady Hideko's relationship spring forth. We see like more elongated versions of scenes that we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Only there's more implied and there's like a more of a focus on Lady Hideko than there is Suki. Yeah. And we also see like remarkable change in like how the count acts too in a way that's like really intimidating. Yeah. He's no longer this bumbling idiot. Yeah, bumbling, perverted man, and more of just someone that like everything he does has is like cold and calculated. Yeah, uh, and we see the scene again where um, the count like forces Suki's hand on his crotch, and after Suki runs away, he like turns to address Lady Hideko, who is watching the whole time, and explains to her like the importance of this uh, in like a really calm and conceited manner. Why intimidating Suki? Or making Suki uncomfortable by, like, making her have to watch him coming on to Lady Hideko yeah. is, like, an important is an important factor of this plan to uh, free Lady Hideko from all this. Yeah. It goes to show that it's all on his plan to have Suki feel super bad for Lady Hideko, and he's just, like, setting it up the whole entire time. Like, just doing mm-hmm. whatever he can to make it seem as bad as possible. That he's just, like, forcing her into something that she doesn't want to do. And it's fucked. Like, we still see the Count is, like, acting solely on greed because of this. Mm-hmm. Like, he honestly could care less about Lady Hideko. He just sees this as a way to where they can both get something yeah. important out and of I this. And I mean, sure, he would still want to fuck her, but... Uh... He can get rich and she can get free. Yeah, but uh yeah he's in it for the the money 
Uh, and we see, like, more of that character in the third act in a way that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this scene that starts out, that sort of, like, starts out the sexual encounter be- between uh, Suki and Lady Hideko, uh, where Lady Hideko is sort of, like, lead- leading Suki on, uh, but Suki kept, keeps on, like, trying to reassure her that this is, like, what the Count wants. Uh-huh. Or, like... And, and it's just, like, kind of uncomfortable for that reason. Well, they show it in the first act, and I think what they do really impressively to me in the second act is then showing that they both, like, actually super like each other. Yeah, yeah, that dissolves, and they just, like, enjoy the sentiment experience with each other. And the, they just actually love each other a lot. Like, the, the like, little glimpses, it's not even little glimpses in the first act. Like, they show a decent amount of it, but then, like, just the little bits of context they add back into it in the second act, like, showing a little bit more of it, like, adds so much to their whole relationship and, like, dynamic. Yeah. In a way that is, like, incredible to me. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. how you do that with filmmaking. Like... Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I'm like, this is like a miracle of like all kinds, all of the best aspects of filmmaking. Like it's and and storytelling yeah, too. Like I'm just it's but, like editing, yeah, I can see. editing, set design, music. Like every single aspect of this movie is like top notch. Like mm-hmm. I'm unable to compare it to anything else that I think has done it this well. Like yeah, especially like. Like, especially from the filmmaking side of this, because we're able to, like, as a viewer, like, we're able to sort of, like, see these scenes happening in the second act and, like, us connecting the dots, connecting the frame, yeah. and connect- connecting the location, and then just realizing, like, oh, this is something that happened after that yeah. that we didn't see before. Yeah. And it, it picks up really fluidly, like, uh, this, like moves on to this really pivotal scene where Suki is like keeps uh suggesting that like good stuff is happening to Lady Hideko because the count is here and the like the charm has lost on Lady Hideko and she is just like having enough of it and she like slaps Suki and then like grabs her by the shoulders and like shoves her out of her room and we think that the night just ends there because the scene after that in the first act is uh, the uncle leaving and uh, the and Lady Hideko and Suki running off with the count. Uh, but like we see w- what else happens that night. Mm-hmm. And like after Lady Hideko shoves Suki out, she tries to kill herself in the same way that her aunt did. And in the same way for, at, at the same tree... And that she is just, like, feeling so guilty for, like, wrapping up this poor girl into all of this. Mm -hmm. And, like, she just wants none of it. Yeah, she just wants out. She's like, I don't want to sell out this girl anymore. I don't want to fucking live in this house anymore. I'm done. Like, Mm -hmm. and this scene, even watching it a second time, I was bawling my fucking eyes out this entire time. When she's talking about how Suki came to save her, she's like, my Tamako my suki i'm just like jesus mm-hmm. christ i'm dying i like i want to cry right now thinking about it it's so fucking good like so yeah suki saves uh uh saves lady hideko before she does it and uh like sobbing suki like spills her guts and says that like i'm just at like 
I'm I'm in this to to con you. Um, and Lady Hideka then like sort of realizes how <laughs> how. Suki is like also being manipulated in this way mm. and there's this like really phenomenal exchange that's happening while Suki is just like desperately trying to hold up this like despondent Lady Hideko as she just like stands there being held up by her mm. just like was already mentally prepared to die and is just sort of like despondently explaining this to Suki in a way that was like really heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Basically says like, oh you poor fool, you thought you had me fooled this whole time. We've been like planning on dumping you. And then like she uh Suki drops her for a second. And it's like, oh shit, yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh and the scene that happens after that is my favorite scene in the whole yes. fucking movie. It's uh so good. So that's what the noose and the tree was about that is like not uh it is not drawn like that the characters draw no that attention to when we see it in the, the first in the act. First yeah, act, they literally yeah. just walk past without looking at it, even though like the camera is really focused on it. Like in this in the second act we sort of get the context of that, but before they run off with the count, like right after the grandfather le- uh, the uncle I mean, uh leaves for the holiday, Lady Hideko sort of pulls Suki aside and says, like, I want to show you something. And she takes her into the uncle's library. And basically, like, it brings her through and starts showing her what her uncle has been connect- collecting and what her uncle has been subjecting her entire life to. And Suki is just appalled. And she is disgusted. And her immediate reaction is to rip it up. Is to rip up this thing that uh, Lady Hideko is um, showing her and then goes on this fucking rampage through the library, going from aisle to aisle, fucking taking stuff out and like dumping ink on it, fucking ripping it, while Lady Hideko just sort of like stands to the sidelines, like appalled and or just like shocked, speechless. Yeah, shocked. And it's just like watching helplessly as Suki does this and then she starts to like help her out by like ripping all the stuff and like dumping everything into dumping all this like priceless erotica into like the these koi ponds mm-hmm. and then dumping ink on that and then stepping them stepping on them and there's this monologue that plays and it's my favorite line in the whole fucking movie mm-hmm. uh where um Lady Hideko is monologuing and she calls Suki like her savior. Yes, and that's what I was talking about a second ago. Is, yeah, she calls Suki the girl that was sent here to tear her life apart. Yeah, and the connotation of that with what what is going on, like, just makes me feel something so fucking profound. It yeah. is like the most cathart. It is like definitely that there's a cathartic moment near the end of the movie too but this is like up there yeah this, this is, is like the most cathartic mo- moment in the whole fucking movie and it's done so fucking well i love yeah, it i just have chills even thinking about it because i'm like yeah it's I know. so incredibly well done every single aspect mm-hmm. of it the anger like they show just like her just like tearing shit off the off the the shells ripping it into pieces like so good it's so fucking it's so fucking well done and it just encapsulates uh, what I think the main message of this movie is. 
that they yeah, that yeah. they fucking escape the male gaze. They escape men's ideas about them and go on with their fucking lives. They they kick out the fucking all the gross men in the in their lives and go and live happy lives. Like I mean, I agree with that too. Like I love the I, I love how in that scene they're literally just like shredding, like just tearing the male gaze apart. Yeah. Like the male gaze embodiment of something so like pure. Just yeah. like ripping it to shreds. Ripping this like exploitative view to shreds. And yeah. it's I, I love it. I I just don't think that like and, and the sex scenes like reflect this erotica because it's like the only sort of it, it's the only sort of like vision of lesbian sex that they have. But I, I just feel like that connotation doesn't really translate well is my only issue. Here's my issue. <laughs> my issue is that I feel like this movie gets or the the critiques I've heard about the sex scenes in this movie all ring hollow to me for the reason that I think we should be allowed to have a movie with lots of lesbian sex in it and it not be set immediately be like, oh, this is for men. And I feel like this movie goes out of its way in the production and in the filming of it to demonstrate that it's not for men over and over Mm -hmm. again. And just because where most people see naked lesbians doing things is in porn does not mean that what this movie does is porn. Nothing about the way any of these like scenes were shot ever hit me as anything more than like something really pure and good and something different. When I watched this movie, I was like, this is something different. This is not, this is not lesbian porn. This is like, this is not. This was not made for men. It's why I, I literally have written down in my notes like this movie is so for women or so for lesbians that they go through the effort to make any scene with a dude in it as gross as possible. True, true. Like I do agree with that. I just think that I I don't see this as pornographic. I I just think it's indulgent for for a reason that's a little misguided. I just can't agree with that because. I, the only way this movie could do it better is if it was made by a woman, but like yeah, yeah, but, exactly. But like Park Chan Wook had his one of his lifetime lifetime friends who is a queer woman help him every step of the way in making this movie. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And 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 like the filming of any of those sex scenes, he made sure no men were present on filming at all. They were filmed those things, those scenes remote. He made sure that they had plenty of time to rest in between, like the filming sessions. Made every concession to make sure they were comfortable with what they were doing. Like every step of the way, did it as right as he possibly could. Okay. Well, with that trivia, uh, I revoke my. <laughs> you you can still uh, feel uh, weird re- about it. It's fine. I just I, I I feel a little weird about it, but I I feel like I I need to go back and watch those scenes again with like this knowledge in mind. Yeah, I just feel like it comes down to like a lot of lesbian media where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. I feel like a lot of times mm-hmm. where as soon as you go whatever, like as soon as you show graphic set lesbian sex, it's immediately either the critique is either oh I love this or oh this is they did this for men. This is the male gaze. I'm like it's like impossible to escape, no matter what you do. True. But what got me was the scissoring scene. Yeah, that's for sure. That that's what that's what kind of like everything else. I I was 
I, I was unfazed by it. It was just like the when they start scissoring, that's what sort of like rubbed me the wrong way because that is just like a, a, a huge trope. Well, they were rubbing each other the right way, so. Okay, well, <laughs> Alita. <laughs> Sorry. You just couldn't fucking resist. All right. I, I could. <laughs> um, like I say, I think a lot of that also comes down to the fact that in fiction, that's all they knew, basically. They, mm-hmm. they even go yeah, to the and, point and of reading. Yeah, and reclaiming, yeah. And that, I mean, they even go to the point of reading that one story that's about scissoring. The bells? No, uh, they do that too, but there's another story that is a classical Chinese or Japanese erotic thing about the two women scissoring. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, so, like, I feel like it's justified enough, you know. Okay. To to move things along, this is where the third act kicks in. Uh, just <laughs> to give our listeners... Imp- uh, to give our listeners the impression of just how long this movie stretches on and it's how, like... It's, like, three and a half useful- hours? It's it's two and a half hours, two and, a half? and it okay. like does some really remarkable stuff with its time. I thought it was uh, like three and something, but okay, it's as long as yeah, the Star yeah, Wars. I, I I mean, like it feels like three, just because it's it's so it, dense. it's really divisive. It, it's like so divisive with every fucking minute of it. Yeah, but boy, does it pack so much stuff. That's why it feels like it's like three hours, uh, three plus hours long, because it packs so much stuff into every single it does. thing. <laughs> has an economy of just data it's throwing at you always (laughs) yeah just like stuff to remember and stuff to have in mind while you're watching a scene yeah uh it's so yeah the third act kicks in right after um suki is like dragged to the asylum only now in a different context yes because it shows we does it show that in the second act that she calls her the friends and is like, yo, can you bust me out of this place? Uh, that's in the third act. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, like everything else that they do behind the scenes it, that uh, Lady Hideko and Suki do together is like shown in the third act. Okay. Uh, but it opened like the third act opens with this uh, scene that like shows the Count's character in a way that I love. Uh, like the what the kind of person the Count is. Uh, where he is not like looking for sex, like he is not predominantly looking for sex. He is, he is just like all greed in yeah. this. He is has like this such a romanticized view of what it's like to be rich, and he's spent his entire life conning to hopefully aspire to be that one day. Mm-hmm. And to just simply like order a wine without having to look at the price of it. I mean, and it sounds like the dream, but yeah, yeah, he's he's just like longs for this extreme sense of financial stability, and he's like romanticized it to such an extreme, and he's built his entire identity around it, and it's like such a unique fact about his character. Yeah. Oh, we didn't talk about. Not to derail this, but we didn't talk about one of the the grossest weird scenes with the Count where he makes a point to draw a naked lady on a cigarette papers. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where he says, um, it's my particular way of possessing beauty. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. He draws a naked woman on, on his rolling papers whenever he rolls a cigarette, and it's... Because he's that uh, asshole. Yeah, yeah, he's... he's there's a lot going on with his character and not just in the way that he's like 
uh, the, the character that that character is putting on uh, for Suki. Uh, but yeah, we, we get the impression here in the third act of like uh, other stuff that Suki and Lady Hideko have been doing behind the scenes to sort of uh, guarantee that uh, Suki is able to bust out. What exactly happens that, like, uh, um, I, I hate that, like, I'm hazy at this specific part. They fake a fire, I think, or they start yeah, they a, fake fire, a fi- that, yeah, and her, Suki starts a fire. And, um, her, her friends in low high places, her thief friends help bust her, her out of there. Her thief family? Yeah. Yeah. Her thief fam. Her thief family, uh, bust her out and forge fake passports for her and, uh, Lady Hideko. And and there's this really great scene that I didn't pick up on until my second time watching of like when Lady Hideko and Suki are planning this out and they're still at the mansion and uh, Lady Hideko just like casually hands Suki one of uh, while, while she's writing one of her earrings to sort of like reimburse the family for mm-hmm. this work and Suki just like instinctually bites the earring to just make sure it's real. <laughs> I didn't notice and that then, either. Like, That's good. It, it's and then it that transitions to Suki's aunt also biting the re- earring to make sure it's real. Mm-hmm. It's like such a like charming transition to also, show like Suki and her aunt's uh, relationship. Yeah, and like how much uh, Suki's aunt has like influenced her. It's wonderful. Also, I love, I love, 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 love when they're like after everything's been revealed and they show the little tiny scenes of them sneaking kisses together while they're at the, the, the little, the cottage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like then like by sneaking time wherever they can to like be with each other for a little bit, knowing what's about to go down. Like all that is so good. Yeah. I love that so much. Uh, Lady Deco is in a, at a hotel with the count and uh, the, the count is like, intending to have sex with her and before he can do anything she and and in a weird way where he intends to like take her by force or whatever as he says women enjoy it more when you take it by force it's incredibly creepy yes and uh she's able to drug him before he does anything and like knocks him out for a while oh yeah because uh, they use uh chekhov's opium which yeah. they set up earlier that we didn't talk about where the Count gives uh, Lady Hideko opium because she fears so badly about being taken by her uncle and like tortured to death, basically. Yeah. So he was like, if you take this, you take enough of it, you'll just die in your sleep and mm-hmm. he'll never be able to take you there. Yeah, she uses yeah. Chekhov's opium to to drug Knock his wine. On, yeah, D- drug his wine and uh, so she can escape. And uh, Suki's family have, have basically forged passports for the both of them. Uh, and uh, they've disguised Lady Hideko as a man. So uh, uh, because the police are looking for any two women that are traveling alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we can sort of get on to another really cathartic scene in the movie. Which is and which is the count butt ass naked laying in the floor or like with his with his underwear around his ankles getting taken. That, yeah, yeah, that, taken by two big uh, samurai men. Yeah, yeah. So the count is arrested by two big samurai men that find him naked and, and passed out in the hotel room on the floor. Uh, and 
the cathartic scene is this like it's basically torture porn but it's for like the two antagonists getting what they deserve Mm -hmm. while the while lady hideko and suki are like just outliving their best lives and it's just like cutting between the two in like a really bizarre fashion it's great so the uncle is torturing the count because the uncle has returned to find all of his collection just ruined and he is just in shambles as a person and reading this letter aloud that uh Lady Hideko sent to him, just taunting him. Yeah, and where she saying, says, like, um, like, whatever, I'm not, uh, never forgive you for what you did, but, um, for sending me Suki out of all the girls in the world, I feel slightly grateful. Yeah. Which is, like, sweet and, like, ah, it's so good. It's such, like, a great fuck you. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he, there's just, like, this prolonged sequence of the uncle, like, chopping off the count's fingers and drilling a hole into his hand uh with like his um bookmaking equipment and while while the count is sits there helpless the count is able to like smoke a few cigarettes yeah, that he, he's like infused with mercury and they both her die cigarette. Before. Mm-hmm. and he's like oh your gross smoking habit blah 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 and then he's like oh what a what your smoke is blue whatever talking about his faint blue smoke he's like yeah bitch it's mercury we're both gonna be dead <laughs> that's my favorite line in the handmaiden yeah, yeah bitch, bitch it's, it's mercury it's mercury, Fucking mercury gonna... bitch yes yeah, we're uh it was weird when they replaced the count at the very end with jesse from breaking bad but uh but but anyway they both die uh but both of the antagonists die <laughs> before the count is going to get his dick cut off apparently yep uh and he's like, at least uh, I get like, to die with my dick intact, or whatever he says. Yeah. And then we cut to um, uh, the last scene is at Lady Hideko and Suki on in their cabins on the boat, uh, just enjoying a night together. Yep. That like that's where it ends. It's fucking phenomenal. It's yeah. like I like I, this episode. We got a bit long winded, but I feel like this is the we movie... want to make this. This is the movie I've been wanting to talk about since we started this fucking podcast. So. Yeah, and this is like, we, we want to make this podcast accessible for people that haven't seen it. And there isn't any way to talk about this movie without like going beat for beat because yeah. this movie just has so much going on with it. Like paced like a novel with like every B plot and every story beat of a novel. Uh, even though it's like an original screenplay, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's based off um a novel called The okay. Fingersmith, but only like vaguely. Uh, Park Chan Wook sent the screenplay to the author of the novel, and she's like, "You can say it's based on it, or or um inspired by it, basically." Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so... glad we finally got to fucking talk about it because I've been dying to talk about it. Yeah, I, I feel like we talked that we had like a really thorough conversation about the movie as we went on about the story beats and just like brought up things about it that came to mind. Yeah, I think like we spent a lot of time talking about the beat for beat story, but like it's so hard to talk about this movie without going over that stuff because it just drops so Seriously. much on you and not in a way that like. It doesn't drop it in a way that's like too much. At least I don't feel in that first scene, maybe. But after, but that's like the most overwhelming. It gets. Yeah, but it's trying to get all that stuff out front so then it can hit you with the deceptions upon 
deceptions and and do some like really remarkable storytelling too and like yeah storytelling in a way that only movies can Mm -hmm. i i feel like this movie is like is going to like fall off of a lot of people's radar because this only hit the states in 2017 my first time hearing about it was from you yeah, it's it's wild because like the only reason I knew about it was because I'm a big Park Chan Wook fan. As for as like conflicted as I feel about like Old Boy these days and stuff like that, like yeah. <laughs> I still like love his work. He does super interesting shit, and to see a movie like this that I consider like a masterpiece of the craft come out of him, and like nobody talks about it, like it's not yeah. like the biggest thing, like. It's wild because this movie is something like super special. It's him outdoing yep. himself every step of the way, basically. Like and and like being really indulgent, but for the sake of queer people. Yeah. Like for for the sake of like uh the, this like really interesting lesbian romance. Yeah, and like I said it before, I think maybe not on this podcast, but like Carol, the movie Carol is like the feel good lesbian romance. This is like the most like art house like master craft like lesbian story i've ever seen like yeah this is this is definitely like master craft is a good way of saying a good like way of everybody putting, because... putting everything into this building these crazy sets like like just every single aspect of this movie is like basically perfectly done to craft a movie like this it, it does take an, a supreme amount of knowledge of like screenwriting ability cinematography ability and just like amazing amount of knowledge of like how a story works with movies specifically absolutely and like how to deconstruct the three act structure to where it's basically telling like deconstruct the three act structure in such a way that it just tells the same story with each act but makes it like all the more interesting because we're just seeing like stuff from was like left out of previous acts. Yeah. And also as someone who's been a long time Park Chan Wook fan, it's feels in a lot of ways like a deconstruction of like the way he makes movies too, where it's not dark for the sake of being dark and fucked up for the sake of being fucked up. He like told an incredible story the way that only like basically only he knows how to. Yeah, that's really true. Like, there are some fucked up scenes in this movie, but it it makes that catharsis all the more impactful once you see these men perpetrating these, like, exploitative acts get their comeuppance mm-hmm. in, like, a way that they can only blame themselves. Yeah. It's, like, just a really good cathartic queer movie. Yes. It's very fucking good. And... We're about to wrap up, but I just wanted to say this one last piece, little piece of trivia about this movie is that um, the actress that plays uh, Suki is a big fan of the the actress that plays Lei Hideko, and when oh. she went in for the audition, uh, Park Chan asked her who her favorite actress was, and she said uh, Nim Hee Kim, who is uh, Lei Hideko, and Park Chan was like immediately like, all right, she's the one for the part. Because she oh she God. had no fucking idea that she was playing oh my that God. Lady Hideko. And she, he was like, all right, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I love this movie even more now. Thank you, Alita. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, she also said that uh, 
she uh, she accepted an award for this movie and said that um she dedicated the award to um the actress that plays Leia Hideko and said uh, that they fell in love at, at first sight. My heart can't take this. Yeah, it's we it's have to really wrap good. Episode we up. Do. My heart's gonna explode. We do have to wrap <laughs> it up. <laughs> Uh, so I hope you enjoyed this very prolonged episode of Film Femmes. Um, I don't know what we are doing next week because I think what we're going to do is uh, put the year wrap up before this one mm. uh, since the, this will uh, like either way this will it, it'll come out like a week after New Year's and I want it to like come out a bit closer yeah. to New Year's. Uh, so do you want to make an impromptu decision of what we kick off 2018 with because I have some ideas. I have no ideas right this second, so you go for it. I, okay. I want to do a horror movie that I really love and I only watch, like, I, I watch a lot, but I keep myself from watching it just once a year because I don't want its magic to lose its hold on me and that's it follows oh okay i've never seen it you were going to fucking love it i've heard that uh, it's got disaster piece music in it so yeah yeah the disaster piece has a, a fucking phenomenal soundtrack mm. and it's one of my favorite horror movies it, i know it has some pro- like i it has problems mm. it's like i i can't help but love it like in every step of the way it's one of my favorite well, yeah. movies. Yeah, I mean, my roommate has only been trying to get me to watch it since I moved in with her. So, holy shit, are you serious? Yeah, she loves that movie. <laughs> uh, it's a good movie. I've heard that. It's a, it's I'm excited. a really fucking good movie. Yeah. So, uh, we'll probably be back. Yeah, we'll be back next week with that. Uh, this will go up next year for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alita, where can people find you on Twitter? I am. It's Alita. I'm read my sad tweets. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. (laughs) Uh, I'm at Mary Dad, and uh, our theme music is the song Passing, uh, which is by the lovely and talented Mel Stone on her EP Coney, which you can find at melstone.bandcamp.com. Also, please leave a review for us on iTunes. We really appreciate it, and it helps us out a lot. And uh, is there anything I'm missing? No. We we dang did it. I feel kind of dirty. Bye. Sorry, I keep wanting to talk more. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say I feel kind of drained after that, but yeah, let's go. Okay, bye. Current flow through and over you, pulling us into that deep, deep blue.